0: Book of Jude, Uh, the theme for the book of Jude is, um, and pastor's gone through actually a study on this. I did not write any dates down um, on when he did this study. I wish I would've, um, but it was back at the daycare. So it was years ago. Um, We did a a Wednesday night study through the book of Jude. And um, uh, the theme for the book uh, was, uh, for this letter is apostasy. Um, And you could also kind of pair it with heresy. Um, Apostasy and heresy are different in that uh, somebody can be heretical in their teaching, um, maybe on purpose, but a lot of times it could be unintentional. You can unintentionally be teaching something that's not true, doctrinally false uh, teaching. Apostasy is is a decision. It's a choice that a person has made where they do not possess what they are professing. An apostate is a person who is not a Christian. They're aware of that fact, and they are a wolf in sheep's clothing, intentionally trying to turn from Christ uh, people, people from Christ. Um, and so the, the theme, this overlying theme in the book of Jude, when we read through it, which we're not going to read the whole uh, letter, but uh, the, the overarching theme is, is apostates. Uh, creeping into the church and what to do about it and so we're actually going to be looking at uh, verse number three as our key text for this evening Um, but we're gonna read chapter or chapter we're gonna read verses 1 through 4 of of Jude so we'll start off verse number 1 Jude the servant of Jesus Christ the brother of James uh, to them that are sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ and called, mercy unto you, and peace and love be multiplied. Verse number three, our key text. Uh, pay close attention to it, and we're going to read verse four to uh, to sum up this uh, part of the passage. Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that ye should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. For there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men, turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, a couple of uh, uh, explanatory things here and then we'll pray. Uh, Verse number four talks about certain men crept in. and We'll we'll hit that in a second. but, but where it says what they have done, it says they were before of old ordained. Uh, this isn't catching God by surprise, but it says they were ungodly men. And what they did is they took the grace of God and they turned it into lasciviousness. Lasciviousness is, is uh, it's, it's, it's a wicked uh, way of living. It is, it is all flesh. It is, it is, it is immorality uh, galore. And, and what they do is they take the the lasciviousness you could just say perversion just perversion they take the grace of our god and we know what grace is paul says to the church when he's writing he says hey should we continue in sin that grace may abound because he says where sin abounds grace doth much more abound basically saying god's gracious grace is sufficient for our sin nobody in this room and it's it's really a comfort to somebody nobody in this room nobody listening to this Nobody in this on this planet is beyond the grace of God. You, nobody has sinned so far that God says, "You know what? That's a step just too far. I can't save them. I can't. My grace isn't sufficient. It is sufficient." So the grace of God is sufficient. And Paul says in that teaching. So if sin abounds and then grace more abounds and we want more grace, should we continue in sin so that grace can abound? We just we just keep sinning. God will keep giving grace. Uh, God forbid. That's Paul's. God forbid. That's what he said. Now this is what these apostates are doing. They've crept in unawares. Church doesn't, church doesn't really know. You don't know just by looking at them. And they come in and it says they're turning the grace of God that abounds with sin and they're turning that grace into lasciviousness. We can, we can live in perversion. We can do whatever we want and we're going to abuse the grace of God. That's what they're saying. And that's what they taught. That's that's like taking the grace of god and teaching it improperly um, at the very least and they were encouraging perversion they were encouraging wicked living and then it says denying the only lord god and our lord jesus christ denying the only lord god singular maybe the attack is on the godhead the singularity of the godhead and the plurality of the God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Maybe there was some kind of teaching about the Trinity. L- Jude was pretty specific at times in this. Like, I think at times he's actually talking about some people. Um, but here he says, denying also the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ's godhood. The fact that he was God getting denied. This is attacking deity. Um, Don't go after the deity of Christ. Don't go after the teaching about God being the Father. God being God. Anything that attacks him is wrong. It's false. It's heresy if it's done accidentally and can be corrected. It's apostasy and should be completely torn and thrown out. Um, So let's open up in prayer. I explained a little further than I thought. Lord, thank you for the day. I pray you'll bless the reading of Jude here. And help us as we study about contending for the faith. Um, help my words to come across properly. I pray that what you've put on my heart would come across, Lord. In Christ's name, amen. <clears throat> okay, so contending for the faith. Um, we're commanded in verse number three, our, our text, our key text. Um, he said that it was needful to write and exhort that we should earnestly contend for the faith. And if you'll notice, he does say in the first part of the verse... It, he says I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation that's not earnestly continuing for the faith it's the common salvation what is the common salvation there are people who are very emphatic on what it actually is I say we don't know exactly what it is it could be a couple of things the fact that Jew and Greek are saved the same there's one area of commonality in salvation it could be that everybody is saved the same or everybody is equal at the foot of the cross There's a lot of ways you can take this common salvation, but Jude was going to write about it, and we'd know more about it if he was able to write about it, but he wasn't. The Holy Spirit said, "Um, "Turn your right signal on. We're going to go this way," and he like he was writing to exhort, or I'm sorry, to speak of the common salvation, and he was ready to do it. He had diligence. He had already studied out. He's ready to write this letter on the common salvation, and the Holy Spirit said, "No, we're not writing about that. It's needful for you to write about this, and I need you to exhort them." And this is, a, this is a general epistle to all churches, all Christians alive at this time, and furthermore, all Christians are being exhorted to earnestly contend for the faith, which was once delivered. So we're commanded to earnestly contend, but what does that mean? What does it mean to contend for the faith? Uh, we have to know, first of all, what we're contending for and what is involved in contending for it. Those two things Uh, I'd hope that we cover, when we finish tonight, that those two things, those two topics, what is it we're contending, or what does it mean to contend, and uh, what is it that we're contending for? Uh, Christianity today, there there is no disputing the fact Christianity is being attacked. it's, It's all over social media. I don't have social media. It's all over ads on the internet. I don't use the internet. It's on the TV. I don't use the TV. It's on billboards. I don't have eyes. It's everywhere. Like... You're, not going, you're living under a rock if you're not aware that Christianity is under attack. But here's the really uh, funny thing. It's always been under attack. It's always been under attack. Um, from the very beginning, from like A.D. before Jesus died. <laughs> then after Jesus died, it's being attacked. And the cool thing, Jesus called the person who was actually causing the worst havoc on the church and brought them to become the greatest voice for the church. But it's always been under attack. That's not what we're actually talking about here today. We're not talking about the world attacking the church. How should the world act like the world? If you expect them to act like good Christians, you're going to be disappointed every single time. You shouldn't be excited that they're acting like the world, but you shouldn't be shocked. The world is going to be opposed to Christ. He said it. He said, they hated me first. They're going to hate you. They hated me first. You're not going to be loved and embraced by the world. That's just not how it's going to work. That's not how it works. Um, So this this contending for the faith, he's not saying, go out into the world. Because, I mean, we're supposed to contend or defend, stand up for whatever else, for the faith. Awesome. Does that mean we go to a Jehovah's Witness kingdom hall and attack them? Or do we go to the Mormons? Let's just go to, a, let's go to a ward. Do they meet on Wednesdays? I think it's Thursdays and Sundays. Let's go to the ward on Sunday instead and just attack them, blast them for preaching a false gospel. It's not what that's not what he's saying here. Earnestly contend for the faith. He's not saying go out into the highways and the hedges and earnestly contend for the faith. That's, that's not what Jude is talking about here. Jude, it, not shockingly, but it's almost a little bit, you can imagine the first readers of this going, did he just say they have crept in, that's past tense, unawares? Are you saying that in the church, and Jude's writing this to all churches, that there's, there's, there's apostates in the church? And they're turning the grace of God into lasciviousness? And they're denying the only Lord God and the Lord Jesus Christ? Are you saying that that's happening in, the, in our church? I mean, maybe he's talking about the church in Laodicea because we're, we're over here in Ephesus. I, I'm sure that the church in Laodicea maybe is having a problem, but we're good here. Jude says you be careful everywhere, and he's not talking about the marketplace. He's not talking about the mall. He's talking about in your church. That's what we're talking about here. And Jude's telling us, the church, to fight, for lack of a better term, for what has been brought to us, what has been delivered to us. And this contention is being brought to us. This this battle to contend for the faith, we're not actually bringing it to anybody. They're coming to us. They're bringing the fight with them. Um, And I want to look at three different ways we can prepare to contend for the faith tonight. The first way we can prepare to contend for the faith is we have to be... We have to be committed to the cause. We have to be committed to the cause. Um, Jude says here, if we look back at this uh, verse number three again, he says, it was need for me to write unto you and exhort you that ye should, in that, that word, earnestly contend for the faith. Earnestly. We have to be committed. Earnestly contend for the faith. To be earnest about something is to be ardent in the pursuit of an object, eager uh, eager to obtain, having a longing desire, warmly engaged or incited, to earnestly contend for the faith, to have a longing desire or to to be completely and wholeheartedly committed to this. Earnestly contend for the faith. The way that we contend for the faith, I don't know if I need to say this, maybe I should, because some of you have tightened your fists a little bit, and I want to loosen those fists. It's not physical, it's, it's intellectual. It's, it's, it's with the knowledge that we have. It's not with physical means that we're going to contend for the faith. Um, <laughs> anyhow, I just had a scenario where somebody punches a guy in the throat for preaching a false gospel in our church. I don't think that would happen. I think we would just forcefully ask him to leave. But it's, not, it's more intellectual than physical. And what I mean by that is it's a battle of knowledge, not physical means. It's a battle of, it's a battle of the things we know. Um, uh, I'll say this. The person that Jude is writing to in this letter is not the passive, non-committed churchgoer. It's not who he's talking to. Jude's not saying, hey, 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 you're not fully committed. You're just kind of showing up, going through motions. I want you to contend for the faith earnestly. It's not who he's talking to. When he says earnestly contend for the faith, he's giving us an idea of who he's talking to. Those who are willing to be earnest in the contention for the faith, um, it's intended for us who are committed. We know what we believe. We know why we believe it, and we're ready to contend for this faith against anybody who would pervert it. Because there are those, there are those, and and again, I'm really wanting us to not focus externally, I want us to focus internally. There are those who would come into our church, South Valley Baptist Church, they would come into our church and they would try to pervert the gospel. There are those who would do that. Has it happened before in the past? Yes, we have had people come into our church before and they were bringing a different teaching, and they wanted to bring the different teaching. Were they allowed? No, they were not. Why? Because we earnestly contended for the faith. We knew what we believed. We knew why we believed it, and we were ready to defend it. And and tell you this. When our defense, which was a knowledge and an intellectual defense, we knew what we believed, and we knew why we believed it, that defense was sufficient. We were able to stop it. And this earnestly contending for the faith, Here's the deal, though. Um, the, this, this time, one time in particular I'm talking about, our pastor was the one who confronted and stopped. And yes, as a leader of the church, it's really good that the pastor be, be, he was the first guy on the scene. He was ready. But you realize, and this is not an alarmist statement, but he's not going to be the pastor probably in 2065 of this church. I threw a really far number out there. That's, 40, that's 44 years from now. He'd be 100 and something. Um, so, he has good genes, maybe he will be, but I'm just saying, we can't hide behind Pope Dean, can't behind, hide behind, what, what would I be, Dork Chad, <laughs> under, under Pope Nathan, we can't hide behind people who we feel like, well here, you deal with these issues, I'm going to be, that's not who Jude's talking to. This is a general epistle to the church. For the churches to read and for the churches to understand. But you know, this intellectual knowledge, you can't really argue for something you don't know anything about. If somebody were to ask me, why, hope I'm not sticking my foot in it, Scott, you work with memory, right? Electronic memory, are you used to? Okay, I thought I remembered that. Oh, well, yeah, who does? Um, if somebody asked me, should I get a Uh, A a disk hard drive, or should I go with a solid state hard drive? I have no opinion on that subject. I don't know. I know nothing about it, so I'm probably not going to have much of an opinion on it, and I'm not going to argue it. Um, Funny thing is, I do actually have an opinion on it, and I'm completely ignorant of the subject, but I have an opinion. That's, honestly, you really want to get in over your head really quick? Go try to defend your faith when you don't know anything about it. He's saying to us to earnestly contend for the faith. If we're going to be contending for the faith, the earnestness comes before the contention does. This earnestness is a seriousness about getting what we would call the knowledge of God. Um, 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 34. Let's look at that real quick. Uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 34. We'll read 33 first. Be not con- deceived. Evil communications corrupt good manners. Awake to righteousness and sin not. And this is, Paul is saying that to them because they are not awakened to righteousness and they are sinning. And this is what he says. This is how I, or, this is what I know because you have not awakened to righteousness and you are sinning. He says, for some have not the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame." He's writing to the church in Corinth. We like to beat up on them, but whatever. He's writing to the church in Corinth. And he says to them, awake to righteousness. It's like you're sleeping, guys. Hey, hey, stop sinning. I know this about you because of those two things. Some of you don't have the knowledge of God. And I speak this to your shame. This is what Paul's saying to the church in Corinth. And this is not a reprimand. It feels really reprimand-like to me. I'm sorry. But what if you're going to contend for the faith, you have to be earnest about it. If you're going to be earnest about it, you've got to know. You've got to study. I think it's written somewhere in the Bible to study to show ourselves approved unto God. We have to study. This counts as Bible study because it's a Wednesday night Bible study, but it doesn't count as your Bible study. It's just a collective church coming together and studying Scripture together. We ought to be studying this by ourselves. It should be a daily practice that we all as Christians do, Um, Romans 15 and verse 4 I'll read this and it says and I said and I myself also am persuaded of you brethren that ye also are full of goodness filled with all knowledge able also to admonish one another now without sticking on this for too long I I said apostasy and heresy correct the two things Jude can be uh, pointing to when we look at Jude somebody who's a heretic somebody who's who's teaching falsely or wrong either unintentionally out of ignorance, and that would be the person dealt with here, or somebody who's intentionally teaching it and maybe has the ability to be corrected. But here, he says able to admonish one another because of the knowledge that we're filled with, because of what we know, because of the the knowledge we have of God, we're able to admonish one another. We're able to set each other straight. Isn't that awesome that within a group of Christians that we have the ability because of what we know and we've studied, we're able to help and admonish. And usually it's somebody who has been studying for a long time is able to help somebody who's been studying for a short time. It happens. It's embarrassing. Okay, great, but it happens. You're reading, you got the wrong idea out of this one passage. And so somebody comes along and helps you and explains to you. Admonishment doesn't mean being cruel it actually has the word gentleness attached to the definition of admonish Um, can I be blunt before we move to the next point you've already been blunt sorry can I be more blunt blunter Um, before we move on for the next way to prepare when Jude's writing this there's a reason the Holy Spirit changed course there's a reason as he's writing about the common salvation, he's going to write about whatever the common salvation is. And the Holy Spirit says, let's change course because there's people creeping into the church. And these people need to be told to be earnest in their contending for the faith. He calls for this earnestness. It's a plea to us to not fall into a rut of coming to church, going home, coming to church. And I'm talking to a crowd who's here on a Wednesday night. So congratulations, you're winning against most Baptists. Um, But coming to church and going home, going through motions, feeling like some kind of a mandated quota has been met from coming to church. And I get it, well we, we did church this week or we did church twice this week or God forbid we showed up at Sunday school. Time change gets you sometimes. Some people walk in bleary-eyed and you're like, you didn't realize the time change. You're at Sunday school. That's who these people are. Um, Anyway, um, I'm not being critical of churches who do this um, because it's an awesome tool. Some churches will use uh, uh, attendance means. And we have a program at our church that we use for our financial tracking and other things that that has a check-in feature that we could activate. Um, We're going to be releasing we're calling it our app it is an app but it's not it's cool it is cool um, but we're gonna be releasing the official thing out soon and we could add a button on there for checking in Alisa could come in and be like check I'm at church and then leave no but you checked in like you can check in and keep attendance records and stuff and all that now, I'm not being critical of churches who use that it's not something that we really use because we really have a need for something like that but um, when we first got our Facebook page years ago at the church we asked people when they first got here, hey, check in on Facebook just to like let your people know you came to church, what church it was. It kind of the, gets the word out. So I'm not like critical of that, but sometimes we get in the mentality as Christians that we've checked in for church. We, we made it, checked in, that box has been checked, and, and, and I'm good for another six days until I come to church the next day or a few days until I go to the midweek service. Like We get into this habit of just coming to church because it's a habit. Or we come to church because we feel like it's, it's a quota we have to meet. Or we come because it's some kind of a requirement that God isn't going to be pleased with us if we don't. And if you're coming to church because you think God will be mad at you if you don't, then you're coming for the wrong reason. It's not why we come to church. It's not why we have church. Um, I have a friend on Facebook who's a pastor. Every single Saturday he does like an update thing to his church. And this is a statement he makes every single time. He says Sunday worship is a Saturday decision. That's it right there. Why do you come to church? Because Saturday night I chose that I was going to come to church ready to worship, ready to get something from the Lord, ready to engage with my fellow Christians in my church family. It's a decision that we make beforehand, and it's not because of anybody else. It's because we need to be there because we get fed by it. Um, And it gives us a place to corporately worship our God. Contending for the faith is a lifetime decision, and it really does take work to be earnest in it. I've spent a lot of time on the first, on the first method, and and that was kind of by design. We're not going to spend that much on the next two, but we just got to get this across. If we're going to contend for the faith, we have to be wholeheartedly, fully committed so that we can be earnest in it. Um, The second second way is we have to stay focused on the cause, Um, focused on the cause, we have to be committed to the cause but the second we have to be focused on the causes look again at, at verse number three uh, if you're still in Jude he says this he says earnestly contend for the faith so there's a I think it's a preposition it's for a prep it is is not it's a conjunction what is for f o r y'all are great uh, We even have a homeschooling mom in here, but she's out of practice, apparently. Um, I don't know what it is. I should know this. I feel like for the faith, I think, is a good preposition. For, article, object of preposition. Anyway, look at the word for there. That's what I was getting at. The word for, we have to be focused on the cause. So in this, it says this, earnestly contend, emphasis mine, for the faith. Did you get that? sure for the faith it is it is earnestly contending for the faith my English teacher if she is watching this her head has exploded four times and sorry miss Eastwood so we have to stay focused on the calling in this verse he says for the faith not against all opposition this is very important we have to stay focused on this because he is saying Focus on what you're defending Don't don't focus on all the things that you're having to combat against this the posture is defensive and not offensive Um, And this is a well-known long time illustration. It's good. That's why it's well known and it's good That's why it keeps getting used Bank tellers don't get handed a stack of counterfeits to study and know the difference and the variations in all the counterfeits They're given a real bill to study and they only handle real money. Why? Because there's a billion types of counterfeits out there. And if they know the real deal, real good, when they find the fake one, they'll know it. They don't have to study counterfeit. They don't need to know the methods that counterfeiters go through in order to counterfeit money. They just need to know what the real money is so that when they encounter the false money, they don't even have to know anything else about it except that's false and call it good. That's, that's it. Same thing with our studying. Now, 1 Timothy chapter 6, 2021, 20, Paul tells Timothy in the first letter to Timothy, he says, O Timothy, keep that which is committed to thy trust, avoiding profane and vain babbling and oppositions of science, falsely so-called, which some professing have erred concerning the faith. Grace be with thee, amen. He says this, this, this verse here. He's encouraging a Christian in this verse to keep, that is contending for, that which is committed to his trust, the faith. Keep, contend for, that which is committed to your trust, the faith. And this is what he says, avoiding vain babblings, profane and vain babblings. These are controversies. These are doctrines that tend only to produce strife. And they are designed not to edify, but to tear down the church. Avoiding. Profane and vain babblings. Not studying profane and vain babblings so you understand where they're coming from and what they're doing, avoiding them, and just stick with what you know. You stick with the faith and you keep the faith. You defend the faith. Uh, And then he says oppositions of science, falsely so-called. Now, this word science can also be a knowledge, a type of knowledge. And he's saying since since it's a science that is an opposition to faith, it's in opposition to the Word of God. It's falsely so-called. That's not knowledge. Knowledge is not something that can stand, or tries to stand up against Scripture. That's not knowledge. That's falsely so-called. Science doesn't line up with the Scripture. Well, it's falsely so-called. It's not science. That's false. And all he says, he said, look, avoid profane and vain babblings. You just stick to the faith and avoid counterfeit knowledge. It doesn't matter. The counterfeit knowledge is false. You know truth, and you keep truth. Um, The thing that stands out in that verse in 1 Timothy 6.20 is keep. Keep the faith. It doesn't say go around and fix all the other problems when they come in. When a bank teller encounters a counterfeit bill, do you know what they do with them? I believe they take a record of it. They may have to call the Secret Service to deal with it, but it is destroyed. They don't keep it. They don't try to fix it. Hey, you know, this would actually be pretty good if George Washington didn't have a goatee. That is weird. Um, But, you know, they don't try to fix it and make it real. What do they do? They destroy it. They get rid of it. They set it aside and apart from the real deal because it has no place here. It has no place with truth. Same thing here. We don't have to fix the false. You know what? You're false in this. But, you know, if we switch this around, and this around, and this around, and fix all that. The Mormons really aren't that far off. No, don't try to fix it. Stand for the truth. Um, Stay focused on the cause for the faith. For the faith. Um, Dangerous territory. But stand for the faith, not your convictions and standards. Um, Before you tune me out, please hear me out. (laughs) But, because I don't think there's anything wrong with having standards and convictions. I think, I think it's good. In fact, I question, the, I question the, uh, the maturity of a Christian who has no standards or convictions. Standards and convictions are evidence. They are evidence of change within a person. That God has come into them, that God is sanctifying them, that is making them more holy they, he, is, he is setting them apart and making them holy, and in that process of sanctification, standards and convictions are made. They're formed. We, we, why doesn't your family this? Because we feel like the Lord has led us in this path, and that's how we feel we've done. That, whatever it is, even if you feel really, really strongly about it, does not equal the gospel. Just doesn't. It's not on equal footing. If we add, if I, I'll I'll say personally, if I add my standards and convictions of which I'm very proud and I think they're exactly what God wants me to do, um, if I add them to the gospel, all I'm doing is preaching work salvation. I'm not helping anybody. My standards and convictions will do nothing but make somebody more holy-looking to go to hell. That's all they'll do. The gospel is first and foremost. It is preeminent. It is the thing that should be taught, it is the thing that should be preached initially in people's lives. And standards of convictions can be taught and they can be admonished and exhorted in this direction. But first and foremost, what is the faith that we're defending? Luke doesn't say defend that your family doesn't do this. Our family doesn't believe in walking barefoot on grass because you could step on a goat head. And you should feel that way too because you could step on goat heads. and they hurt. Uh, I heard my neighbor scream one night he stepped on a goat head. Um, and uh, he told me that. And uh, anyhow, if we add our standards and convictions to the gospel, all we're doing is teaching a work. I've got nothing against standards and convictions. Again, not saying that they're wrong. I'm saying the faith we're contending for is not being able to force people to not walk on the grass barefooted, it's not that. We're contending for the true gospel and the true doctrine of the church. Um, They are not equal to the saving knowledge of Christ. And the last thing before we move on, I like this. It says to earnestly contend for the faith, not to be contentious about the faith. Man, do we sometimes get a little contentious with people. Anyway, it's not okay. So we got to be committed to the cause. Stay focused on the cause. And the last thing, and we are going to be done brief or, or quickly. We must contend because we're the only ones who can. Um, let's read the last part of that verse one more time: that you should earnestly contend for the faith. Here's the part we're looking at, which was once delivered unto the saints. The faith that we're defending, contending for, is something that was once delivered. To the saints. I'm not saying this because I said we're the only ones who can. I am not saying South Valley Baptist Church is the only church in the valley that preaches the gospel. That is hogwash. It's just not okay. It's false. And any church that says that is lying. Uh, if you're watching and your church says that, they're lying. I'm sorry. But it's just not the case. There are other churches that preach the gospel around here. Um, but we as Christians are the only ones who are able to. And will defend the faith if we do not become earnest about it if we don't stay focused on the faith itself then we, we end up adding things to it and getting it all convoluted and weird if we're not careful we'll mess it up we're the only ones who can do this we're the only ones who can earnestly contend for the faith because it was once delivered to us to the Saints Jesus gave it to the Apostles he handed it down to the Apostles and the Apostles took it and they faithfully carried it out and handed it down to the church, and the church—and I mean generationally—handing down now. Not saying that anybody's a lower estate than anybody else, but they're handing it down from generation to generation. And the reason we stand here today as a church is because 2,000 years ago they were faithful to it, and they passed it down faithfully. Are there churches that have sprung up out of that that are false? Yeah, they are. You know why? They didn't earnestly contend for the faith. They didn't. Many times that second point where I said not your convictions and standards that's where they went off They stopped focusing on the cause and they got off and they started teaching work salvation And they started teaching praying to Mary and they started teaching that Jesus and Satan were brothers And there was a big contention and God had to sin in order to that's what happens now I'm not likening Mormonism to that because they were invented in the 1800s, but That's what happened They lost they lost their way Because they weren't staying true to the faith, contending for the faith. Um, We are the possessors and the keepers of the very faith that Jesus passed down. That's cool. Like it's the same faith that Jesus passed down. We if we lost every single message that has ever been preached at our church, and we had no notes, we had no recordings. We lost our church's bylaws and covenant and everything else. Our, our statement of faith on the website, it all just got wiped out one day. And this is all we were left with was the Bible. This church could exist because it is not relying on any of those things. In, in, in South Valley's covenant, do we trust? No, we don't. It gets brought up if we need to make any decisions. I don't think it ever really gets brought up. Somebody asked if they can read it. Sure, you can read it. We don't, this is our, this is what we focus on. Um, We are the possessors and keepers of the very faith Jesus passed down to us. Now, Psalm 1, sorry, Psalm 11 and verse 3. I want us to turn there. We're done looking at Jude now. Uh, This is is at the end. Psalm 11 and verse number 3. Because this faith, this faith that was once delivered unto the saints can be described as a foundation. What is our church built upon? It's built upon the faith of Jesus Christ. What is our church built upon? It's built upon the doctrines that Jesus passed down to the apostles and they passed on to us. It's built upon these things. Um, Psalm 11 and verse number three There's a question posed. If the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? If, if, we, if we don't keep the foundations, then what are we to do? Honestly, what's the point in any of it? If we don't keep the foundations, if we don't keep the truth, the faith that was once delivered to us, then everything is going to go downhill. I would venture to say every single person in this room, anybody watching this replay or live, who is a born-again believer, you were reached by somebody. Somebody reached you with the gospel. Somebody did. And then that person either connected you with a church. You have a story. Somehow you got to where you are right now. There's some story. Everybody's a little different in their story. But something brought you to where you are right now. And you today are down the road a little further than you were when you first got saved. There's been some type of growth, some type of change, some type of maturity that has happened over a course of time. Um, I know I was reached by somebody. The faith was delivered to me. It was given to me. And as I've gone through the process of allowing the Holy Spirit to grow me, I've added to my faith. As I've added to my faith, my responsibility for contending for the faith has grown. It just, it's just how it works. We're the last line of defense on this earth contending for the faith. It's always been that way, so I'm not trying to be a, a, a alarmist. I've already used that word. I'm trying to think of another one, and that's the only one I think of. I'm not trying to make it sound like it's all worse than it actually. It's always been that way. We're it. We're the last line of defense. I think of when Athaliah killed all of her grandsons. That wicked, wicked queen of 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 Israel, and she killed all of her grandsons, or was it Judah, and. There was one little boy left, little kid. They saved him. He was a baby. He still had a a nursemaid, and they raised him up for six years. He was the last one of the David line. There was no other bloodline to David but him. That's how we can think of ourselves as the church. We are the last line of defense for keeping the faith. If we don't do it, there is nobody standing behind us saying, well, I'll defend it for you. We're the last line. We have to be earnest in it. We have to be committed. We have to focus and make sure we're not adding anything to it or, distracting or subtracting anything from it, that we're focused on what we're supposed to be focused on, the faith. And then lastly, that um, we remember we're the only ones. We're the only ones. And he says that it's, in, it's, not, it's not when you're out at JCPenney and you see somebody who's living in a way that's contrary to the word of God that you go over to them and you contend with them for the faith. No. Share the gospel with them, yes, yes. But he's talking about the fight is here. It's in our house. We have to be ready to contend for the faith. And, and I just tell you right now, if, 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 if I were to tell my class, my students, we have a test tomorrow, one question they're going to ask is, what's it on? They're always asking that, uh, what we just talked about. No, what's the test on, and what are they going to do tonight for tomorrow? They're going to study. They're going to cram. They're going to get ready for an exam that's coming. Well, I can say this. Contention against our faith from within our ranks, and not necessarily within our ranks, but within our church, it's a test. Because it's not something we can't just strong arm it. It's something we have to know. We have to possess it. We have to understand what do we believe, why do we believe it. Uh, And that's just, that's important. That's what Jude is talking about when he says for us to earnestly contend for the faith. Bless you. All right, let's pray. Lord, I thank you for the day. I pray that you would help us as we go. Um, Lord, uh, it's hot out. I pray that you would keep uh, those who are are more vulnerable in our community, that you'd keep them safe with this heat. Uh, I pray that you would bless pastors. He's preaching uh, possibly right now at uh, camp. Um, that souls would be saved and teenagers' lives would be changed and you'd just strengthen him as he ministers this week and bring him back to us safely. And, uh, Lord, those who are not well, with, uh, well in our church, you would just bring them back to health. Be with Laura. Uh, Lord, we love her, strengthen her. And um, uh, bless those who are not here tonight. Uh, be with us as we go uh, the rest of this week and be with us a Sunday. In Christ's name, amen.